uh, I just kind of you, you have a complete gullibility on my, on my part, you know, a suspension of disbelief, you know, I'm yeah. doing a massive suspension of disbelief on my part. But I love the mysterious. I love the, I love the puzzle. I, you know, I, I love a puzzle, a, 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 a inscrutable puzzle. like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. We have entered our drug-induced stance and our trance and we're ready to design weapons and talk about the zap gun. Today, we have a special guest. We'll get to him in a minute. But I'm David Agronoff, author of Goddamn Killing Machines, Punk Rock Ghost Story, and some other shit. Um, and... Uh, very excited to be here to talk about the Zap Gun. On the Zoom to my left is Anthony Trevino. Oh, you introduced me? I, that's it? I don't get to introduce myself anymore? And stop wagging your finger at me. It's rude. Um, yeah, Anthony Trevino, uh, sometimes film critic, and uh, yeah, always a snarky asshole, I guess. That's my thing, right? That's, <laughs> that's what is, I do here. That is indeed true. And below Anthony is... What? Below Anthony. <laughs> yeah, you're below Anthony right Whoa. now. Hey, maybe on your screen, I'm yeah. seeing a completely different oh, setup. okay. But <laughs> no, I'm recording. is on top yeah. of my screen. Right. Yeah, okay. So, Langhorn. Jay Tweed. That's right. All right. Uh, Langhorn, you want to say anything about yourself? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, you can, if you want to. Hi. Hi, all right. Um, joining us, our special guest today, Scott R. Jones. Scott, Hello. tell folks who you are and what you do. Hi, how are you? I'm Scott R. Jones, and uh, yeah, I'm a writer. Uh, for a while there, uh, for about uh, five years, I ran, a, I ran a small press, a boutique press, Martian Migraine. Martian Migraine Press, and we put out uh, very specific anthologies uh, with uh, themes that took Lovecraft and basically ran with him in interesting directions you wouldn't necessarily s- suspect. Uh, that was that was my editorial life, but uh, got much got back into writing a lot more. Uh, my first collection came out in early December. Seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so long. It's another era entirely. <laughs> Well, you, Scott, you're unique as a guest because, uh, well, first of all, Anthony actually had a tech suggestion last month, <laughs> okay. Zinc, and it was your book, uh, oh. your novel. So this is the first oh, time yes. that we followed up a dick-like suggestion with <laughs> the author being here. Oh, that's, uh, thanks. I, 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 I did not catch that, but yeah, that's, uh, that's Stonefish right there. That's my favorite oh, of the it's year mirrored. so far. It's mirrored. God damn it. Oh, well. Oh, good. Oh, well. So I can see it. Yeah, you can it, see it. It looked right on my screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's Stonefish. Yeah. That, that, that came out from Word Horde. Ross Lockhart, uh, mm-hmm. of course, the editor and genius behind Word Horde, and he picked the book up, and it came out, uh, ooh, what, late February. Again, another era. 
<laughs> Such, uh, you know, I don't, I yeah, don't mean, I'm not whining when I say this, but goddamn, what a time to have a book come out. Yeah. Well, Who knew? Hey, <laughs> it reached us, and uh, hopefully soon it will reach uh, more dickheads. Uh, I hope so, too, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, certainly uh, Phil had an influence on, on, on Stonefish. It's, it's, it's cyberpunky with cosmic horror and a lot of... Um, Sort of psychedelic Gnosticism as its as its basis, so it gets pretty strange in there. I and I would to... s- I would say your represent- representation of an AI is probably Dick's worst nightmare of an AI. <laughs> it's my Dougie. favorite, little Dougie. Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's so good. I feel so sorry for that uh, for that individual, and I had to do I had to do a lot of ex like we all sort of absorb a certain portion of you know, what the popular culture feels about AI. And then when I actually went into research how these things would work and how they're currently working and how they foresee them working, my God, we're going to have some very in- interesting entities to interact with in very short order, Yeah, is my opinion. I've been trying to teach my, teach my kids not just, not just to not be racist, but also basically, does the thing you're interacting with have a nervous system of sorts? Does it process information? Does it put information out into the world? You should probably respect it then. And that just broadens it completely. Well, uh, uh, I'm very interested in the book. I'll be getting there. I'm uh, going to have coworkers. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, well, no, I, I think the book sounds really great. And uh, based on Anthony's recommendation, I definitely um, want to check it out. Cool. So, Thanks, David. Yeah. Um, but uh, Scott, I'm sure we'll get more details. Um, when did you uh, when did you first read Phil K. Dick? Is, is he one of your favorites going far back, or is he recent for you? Yeah, no, I, I would say it's going far back. I mean, I was reading Phil K. Dick before I knew what was going on with him. Uh, you know, just random paperbacks from the from the used bookstore. Uh, gosh, I can't even remember what the first. I mean, it was probably Electric Sheep, right? It usually probably, is. It was probably. It was probably Besides that. Besides Anthony, the rest of us all read. <laughs> yeah. uh, I started but, uh, the clans. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like the. Uh, I. I very much remember from way back in the day reading uh, the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch and just blown away by that one. But then, yeah. of course, it was Valis. Valis is my. Valis is my go-to brain melter with Dick. You know, it's it's unfortunate because you get to this point where you're like, oh, I I understand you. I know what's going on here, and that's that's kind of horrifying when you understand <laughs> PKD, <laughs> right? You know, or at least on some level, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I um, Ballas is. Uh, I mean, we have a long way to go before we get there, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, uh, it's definitely one of my favorites of the of the latter books, and certainly the most autobiographical in many ways, um, in weird ways. But um, before we get to the zap gun, uh, we do have some segments to get through. Um, We have some PKD news. Um, And the main uh, piece of PKD news is that the Philip K. Dick Award was given for the last year. And it was supposed to be given at uh, Norwest Con in, um, I believe, Seattle this year. But um, thanks to... um, Everything that is happening, it was given online via live stream. And the book that won is Sarah um, Pinsker's Sooner or Later Everything Falls into the Sea. And it's a short story collection. 
Um, but what's, what's really interesting is that when I looked up um, her books, I realized that I had put one of her books on hold at the library before the library closed that came out last year that is a novel that is basically about social distancing and quarantining and about a band like where everyone basically lives online. And it's the, a novel about this band that tries to bring back live performances and that <laughs> last year. <laughs> so um, I'm definitely wanting to read this woman's work. And since we had the Philip K. Dick Ward winners on every year, um, once I'm able to read these books, we'll, we'll definitely uh, put an invite out to Sarah to join us and talk about winning. Sure. Um, but yeah, so the description uh, according to the awards website is, um, or no, to the description of the short story collection is, a baker's dozen stories gathered, turn readers into travelers into the past, future explorers of the weirder points of the present. Journey is the thing that uh, Pinsker weaves music, memory, technology, history, mystery, love, loss, and multiple selves on generation ships and cruise ships, high seas, mm. murder houses, and tree houses. Sounds <laughs> pretty good. So uh, that is your winner for the Philip K. Dick Award for this year. Cool. Very cool. I want to read that. Yeah, I, I like short stories. So, then the next, the other piece of Philip K. Dick news, not again, it's not directly Philip K. Dick, but the another winner of a Philip K. Dick award is the film Volition, which won the um, best in show for the Philip K. Dick Film Fest, and Volition um, just sold its um, distribution rights to Apple TV Prime Video and digital platforms it will come out on July 10th. So, and that's a story about a man afflicted with some kind of clairvoyance that um, uh, involves drug dealers and murder, and it won uh, the PKD Film Fest, so it's one I'm looking forward to seeing, and July 10th you'll be able to see it on lots of streaming platforms. Fantastic. So, yeah, and uh, Variety had an article about it, and... That sounds pretty cool. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to that movie. And I know um, from people who saw it at the film fest just before um, the world shut down, um, the, <laughs> just a lot of really good praise for that that one. And you said it was uh, called. Vo- and you said it was called Volition. 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 Yeah. yeah. We'll and look if for you it. look up the PKD awards, you can see it. Like there's a short film prize, and there's all kinds of different prizes. That and we talked about that in our Lysing episode, so you can also go back and listen to um, Anthony tell me to move on and stop <laughs> talking about the awards. Um, <laughs> so there is there is one more piece of uh, PKD news, and that's okay. the, uh, the Blade Runner video game from 1997 that I've been talking about through all of this. Yes, has finally uh, made it. They they fixed it. They made it playable. And it's, I, I think it's available now to, to awesome. buy and play. So it's an amazing thing. They had to redo all the source code. So ah. all of it, all of it. They is this, is this for all platforms? I, I don't know specifically what platforms. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it's PC. Uh, I don't think it's on any of the consoles yet, but it's a, it's a great achievement. Not just as a PKD thing, but as a a video game thing overall. Because no one's ever done that before. Just totally redone source code on a video game. So 
It was a, yeah. definitely a passion project. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, well, we'll keep uh, an eye out for that, and when when it happens, you'll definitely play it, Larry. Oh yeah, I will. I will play it again. Yeah, and let us know. Um, I do want to take a little bit of time to shout out to Mysterious Galaxies, who yeah. just had their uh, as of the recording of this episode yesterday was their twenty uh, seventh birthday as a bookstore here in San Diego. Um, and shout out to our boy Rob who is holding down the fort inside the store, the one employee going in every day. Uh, I've talked to him on the phone. He's not well. Um, but we love Mysterious Galaxies and can't wait to be able to have more book events. I went to the last book event there before they closed down. I was at an event there when, when they announced that the NBA was shutting down their season. <laughs> and um, so I got one last social distance book signing with uh, – Sylvia Marino Garcia before uh, before they shut down. So shout out to Mysterious Galaxies, and uh, then next is the Dick like suggestions. And I'd like to start with Larry. What video game do you have for us today? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm assuming it's a video right. game, right? So I've been playing a game, uh, and and I'm. I'm only a mere 350 hours into it, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's if it's really PKD related, but it's called Oxygen Not Included, and it's a game that involves math. It's it's like a nerd dream come true. Guaranteed for me to never play it. Yeah, Excel. You can use Excel spreadsheets. Uh, now you're starting to make me feel like I'm going to play a video game that simulates work. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's a it's a game, game where it's called Go to Work. <laughs> it's a game where you control a bunch of uh, clones who have mistakenly landed underneath a planet, and you have to build up to the surface and try to escape the planet. That's super dick like. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> right, like and there's. Not only are you playing the game, but you're finding out that there's a history on the planet of of scientists creating these duplicates, which is what they're called. And you find that out by finding ancient relics of like computers and TVs and and uh, vending machines and weird stuff like that. Mm. And so you find memos from mm. this company that that built them, and and it, I I don't know exactly where it's going because it is really. It takes a long time to play this game, but now it's... You know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got a lot of math involved, so it's not, it's not for anyone that doesn't like math. Yeah, I would... Yeah, I'm out. Tap out <laughs> with math. But it's, it's a, a, um, a sort of a, a god simulator. You know, you control people, you make them do stuff, try to build a society uh, simulation... That kind of thing, I love it. It's cartoony. Your your dupes are stupid. <laughs> you have to make sure they don't kill themselves in stupid ways. It's great. All right, um, Scott, why don't you go? Yeah, first? just uh, just ask a quick question. You guys can still see me. Yep. Yeah. yeah oh, there we are. Okay. Okay. I'm on my wife's computer. We had some weirdness towards the towards go time. Okay. Uh, yeah. My uh, suggestion. It's. Uh, 
Uh, it's the recent uh, the recent outing on uh, Amazon, the Amazon Prime streaming service. Uh, Upload, I find to be it's it has a it has a much lighter a sort of softer sense of humor than, than PKD, but it's, it's subject matter is just fascinating. Uh, it basically posits, uh, you know, next week in the future when we have the ability to basically scan our entire, our entire brain. Uh, unfortunately that sort of, I don't, it's a bit of a spoiler here, but that does tend to, uh, that, that does tend to kill you. So it's something get, that gets done uh, basically when you're on death's door, right? You have the option to, instead of dying like a regular person, if you've got the money, <laughs> if you've got the credits, you know, you can, you can upload, you can have your consciousness uploaded into a virtual environment. And, you know, there's all kinds of fun VR tricks with what that is. Uh, but then it's watching these regular Joe humans, which is what I like about it, I think. That's what I think of PKD about it. Is that you have these guys who are just you know these these characters who are just regular folks and they're dealing with this incredibly disruptive new technology, you know, which is being trotted out there as like you know here is immortality for the species, you know here is your reward for a good life the life, the best years of your life may happen after it's done, <laughs> with all the funny little with all the funny little ads and the you know the weird little. Uh, things that BKD always has in his, in his fiction where he focuses on, you know, he focuses on some pottery or he focuses on some bizarre little product that nevertheless has, mm-hmm. you know, this, this huge impact, impact on people's lives. And it turns out it's also a murder mystery and corporate espionage and all kinds of fun stuff. It's, I recommend it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's on my it's, list. It's definitely, yeah. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Cool. Same uh, guy, I have the Amazon same, series as well. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Anthony, you don't have anything, right? All right. Stop <laughs> me if I've recommended this before. There's this little book called Un-America. <laughs> and stop. That, wait, wait, have I already talked about this book like 800 times? Dude. All right, there's this other book and called Radiant Dawn. Twice. Just <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> All right. Stop. No. We've had Cody on twice. We've talked about on America. Everyone knows if they haven't bought on America yet, I don't know what to tell people because buy on America. It's oh, by Cody Goodfellow. It's a novel by Cody Goodfellow. Um, it's stunning. Grab it. He's a I decent mean, writer. It's, it's stunning. Yeah, it's, De- it's a really decent. good book. It was both Anthony and I had it as our top reads of last year. Um. All right, so my dick like suggestions. Um, I have three, and Anthony, fuck off. So one, I'm just gonna say really quickly, which is this Amazon show. Fuck off. Um, is this Amazon show Tales from the Loop, and um, it's a very kind of art house sci-fi, very weird, very slow, very morose show. So it's not for everybody. But um, I like the. F- I, I only watched the first one, but it was decent. Oh, I mean, it, it was it was really, really slow. Good. Yeah, it, you have to have patience with it, but I'm five episodes in, and it's really good. It's There's some artist, I don't remember his name, who had these like weird drawings, and they're the basis of the show, is that they use these drawings as um, kind of a... a Inspiration a for the pieces, yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. first episode is directed by Mark, I think his name is Roanock, the guy who did... Uh, Camel, Photo. Singer. Huh? No? No. Not Mark no. Camel? Not Mark Singer? 
It's not Mark Singer. It's not the Beastmaster. Uh, right. But uh, one can hope. He directed one hour photo, and uh, he directed the pilot. Jodie Foster directed one of the episodes, and and um, no it's a really good show. Good Robin Williams performance that no one brings up is one hour photo. It's a good yeah. Movie. Yeah, I love One Hour Photo. Um, and it's one of the times where I've had the most uncomfortable where my wife and I laughed in the theater and no one else laughed when he made the joke about having gonorrhea to the little kid. Um. <laughs> and Jodie Foster's episode of Black Mirror was pretty good. I like the Archangel. Yeah, it was. And I have not seen her episode of Tales from the Loop yet, but um, I highly recommend Tales from the Loop. Um, and then... Uh, I have a little cross media for the next one, which is I just finished reading last week Stanislaw Lem's Logical Congress. This is if you've only read like Solaris by Lem, which is the one most people have read. This is way more Kurt Vonnegut ish, more really? Zap Gunny. It's very um, sarcastic and funny, um, and. It's about a guy who goes to a conference of futurologists, um, but it gets really fucking wacky. There's time travel. There's people being frozen. Um, there's all kinds of weird shit. And but it, it's very much a statement on um, like climate change and population and all kinds of things. It's really fucking good. Um, there, there was also in 2013, there was sort of a movie based on it called the Congress starring, mm. um, Robin Wright, um, I don't know that Wright herself, the woman from Prince oh, yeah. Bride, where she replaces the Russian cosmonaut <laughs> from Lem's novel and they send her to the conference and it's similar to upload where in the in the movie um, they're digitizing actors and they come to her and say we want to turn you into a digital actor so Robin Wright will live forever and once they digitize her the movie becomes animated Woo! and completely <laughs> insane it's not for everyone um, well, maybe I have heard of this. Yeah, John Hamm's in it, Harvey Keitel, um, and uh, it's really fucking wacky. It's not for everyone. It is fucking weird. Um, It's not exactly an adaptation of the novel. It just takes place at a Futurological Congress, but it's like he has some of the ideas, and it parallels the novel, but it's very different. Hmm. you know, it's very different from going from a Russian cosmonaut to the star of Princess Bride and Forrest Gump. The real question is, do we see Harvey Keitel's junk? Because that's all that matters. If you see Harvey Keitel's junk, you're going to have to give me another recommendation for that. Uh, <laughs> do you think he refers so many. to junk as the bad lieutenant? <laughs> bad lieutenant, the piano, what else do you <laughs> need? What the Probably. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of Harvey Keitel junk out there. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and last <laughs> um, is a book called uh, China Mountain Zhang. And Ooh. this is, of all the books that I've read in quarantine that um, have to do with the times that we're living in, um, this one is sneaky about 
the times we're living in. I know a lot of people are pointing to The Naked Sun by um, Isaac Asimov because it's a novel about a planet that's all social distanced and there's a murder. Yeah, it, that's, but that's kind of on the nose. The stand is way on the nose and it's, it's 99% death rate in the stand. So, but China Mountain Zhang is about a second American depression that leads to a revolution and it's about the Chinese century which is a thing we hear a lot about now is that this is the Chinese century. The yeah. thing is, this cyberpunk-like novel was written in 1992, okay, by uh, Maureen McHugh, and it was nominated for all the awards. Um, I'm not sure how, how many it won. It won the tip tree, I think. Yeah. And anyways, it's fucking great. It's like a slice of life. There's not a lot of plot to it, so that's kind of PKD-ish in, in a sense. Um, in a sense in a sense for some of his stuff that it's it's more just um very much like slices of of life in this chinese century and i thought it was incredible um and one of the best books i've read this year so far so that's china mountain zhang by maureen McHugh um from 1992 and that's it for the dick like suggestions um so now zap gun came out in 19 67. <laughs> David. <laughs> David. What, what was happening in 19 and 6 and 7? <laughs> well, in 1967, was uh, the Green Bay Packers played the Kansas City Chiefs in the first Super Bowl. Super Bowl one. Uh, just to give you uh, how much time has passed, we've already had Super Bowl 50. So we're definitely a long ways out from the zap gun. <laughs> uh, also, the Six-Day War with the, when the Arab forces attacked Israel, oh. otherwise known as the Yom Kippur War. Mm-hmm. And Gus Grissom and the crew of Apollo 1 um, died in the, on the launch pad. They didn't even make it off the ground in Apollo 1. They exploded. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They did not... Uh, Indiana's own uh, Gus Grissom did not do well on Apollo. That day, yeah. Yeah. So um, we don't have any Gus Grissom news either because he's also dead. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's 1967. uh, But the writing and publication history of the Zap Gun started much earlier. Uh, As many Philip K. Dick books do, there's a long period between the original writing and conception of all of this. And um, and uh, by the time uh, it came out, nineteen sixty seven, uh, he had, five years had passed since he was first um, suggested the idea. And how this one started, and this one's different, is that Pyramid, who published the book, um, contacted the SMLA agency, the Scott Meredith agency, and asked if they had any science fiction authors who would be willing to write a book called The Zap Gun. Pew, pew. And so, pew, pew. Um, so a letter came to uh, to our boy Philly. Um, it said, and I quote, I'm happy to report that we have a novel assignment for you from Pyramid Books. We had a meeting with Don Benson, the editor over there, and he has an idea for a science fiction novel entitled The Zap Gun. Of course, you'll recognize The Zap Gun is the old Buck Rogers standby. Don wants to do a book that would be somewhat tongue-in-cheek about the serious possibility of a real blaster. 
real laughter. <laughs> laughter seems much more a possibility today because of the experiments with the laser beam. This is lasers. Wow. <laughs> yep. That's kind of lovely. Yeah, it's the the letter goes on to say Don has agreed to now wait, before I go on, can you imagine at this point Phil's reading the letter and he's like whatever. Uh, this is really stupid. I'm probably not going to do this. Then comes the next part. Don has agreed to contract on the basis of a detailed outline from you and will pay in advance of $1,500. $500 on signature of contract, $500 on completion, and $500 on publication. I hope this idea interests you, and I'll look forward to an outline from you shortly. I want someone to pay me $1,500 for an outline. I'll just right? do it all day. All day long, I'll just write outlines. 500 for the outline. Does outlines. that, Still, does that do, outline yeah, exist? I have, do we know if that outline exists? Because I would I love... sent you the outline. You yeah, it does. probably didn't oh, read it. Does? I read the first two pages. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and then I said, when's the laser gun show up? And I stopped <laughs> reading. <laughs> yes, um, I sent all of you the outline. Um, yeah. Thanks to... Uh, I don't read anything you send me. Yeah, <laughs> Zach Wood uh, Woods, uh, friend of the podcast, um, had a PDF of it and uh, sent me a copy. Nice. Um, and uh, so, yeah, um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the um, the outline has nothing to do with the completed book. Zero to do with it. Nope. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's much more of a time travel story. Um, I mean, a little bit with the the. The veteran time traveler time guy. Travel. A little bit, but but not really. Um, yeah, very, very small amount. Uh, so, uh, but the outline, one thing that I think would be really interesting, and I, I don't know, I mean, the, the PKD estate would have to agree to this, but it would be interesting to see somebody, like, uh, actually try to write a novel based on that outline or, or, or adapt it for film as, you know... Because I actually thought you you didn't you know, you're Anthony, you're telling me no on this. <laughs> I don't no, know. No. I thought it sounded <laughs> no, no. It sounded like it could have been interesting, but uh, but yeah, we'll we'll I'll have to uh, jump out of my notes for a little bit to look at that in a little bit. But um, so the manuscript for the Zap Gun um, uh, came to the SMLA agency on April 15th, 1964. So he wrote most of this in 1963 or early 64. And we know that he was writing this almost concurrently with the penultimate truth, that he may have been writing back and forth on, on, on these two books, which is interesting because of they're both Cold War books, you know. But they're both pretty different. So that's, that's kind of impressive. Yeah, and uh, the next book he wrote um, after this was um, uh, Clans of the Alphane Moon, which he actually did, I believe, um, hmm. actually ended up at the agency before. <clears throat> he sent Clans of the Alphane Moon to his agency before he sent the Zap Gun, but Zap Gun was finished first. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know why... He waited. I don't know if he thought he was going to do another draft or something, but um, but the clans arrived at SMLA in January, 
and Zapgun arrived in April. So, um, but uh, Anthony, do you have your notes up? I do. Um, yeah, we have only two quotes directly from Phil on the Zap Gun. Or do you want me to? You, do you want me to read them both, or read the first one first? <laughs> sure. <laughs> The, the intent is not sufficient to guarantee a good result. Some of the worst books I've written, like The Zap Gun, are books I've labored over. I wouldn't call this one of his worst books by a long shot. No. Yeah. no. Not by... No, 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 no. no. I, I, uh, not when I have read The Cosmic Puppets, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is definitely not... And he considers it one of his worst, but you know the other thing with PKD, and I'm sure... Many of us feel this way about our own work sometimes is that you may one day say like, oh, God, that's the worst fucking thing I ever wrote. And then like, yeah. like feel better about it because he has. Yes. Oh, yeah. He did, he did say one other time he listed it. He said penultimate truth. He said something up to the effect of penultimate truth and Zap Gunner books, which deserve to survive World War Three. So, <laughs> you know, we've said this many times before. Tessa talked about it with you, Anthony. You can't always trust the things that you right. hear out of out of Phil Kagan's mouth. Yeah, <laughs> because from one day to the other, they change. Uh, but there's one other quote. It's a little bit longer, Anthony. A lot of them are pot boilers. Well, they weren't intentionally. They just worked out that way. I always write it as well as I can, but sometimes I just don't have the sacred fire to inflame my talent into you know, a level of genius and what I wind up with is some turkey like zap gun. <laughs> <laughs> the first half is totally unreadable. I don't know where or what. I can hardly reconstruct the thinking that underlay the first half of that book. Just totally unintelligible. I'm going to kind of agree with Dick on this one, but I'll get into that, why I feel that way later. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Until the movement to uh, Iceland, you know, until until yeah, uh, until I mean, starts. Yeah, yeah. When, when he I meets when he meets Lilo in the, sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with that, but no, I think the book starts. The book starts when they're like, "You two need to smash your brains together." That for me is when the book starts. Eh. All right. Well, we'll get to reviewing the text when we get out of publication history. I think we should talk about the um, outline a little bit. Um, I'm not going to read obviously the whole thing. It's eight pages long, but <laughs> I do want to. Well, you would you you would see my live stream dying of boredom if you guys. <laughs> so, um, like an airplane, you'd be hanging yourself. No, no, my heart would literally stop. <laughs> um, so go on, David. The outline for the Zap Gun takes place in the far future of the year 1987. Woo! Wow, I was a uh, one year old. And another great uh, PKD name that we can add to the list that never made it out of the outline is Donald Hedgegrow, um, who is a HAB plan writer, good at it, making top income, known throughout Terra. There are no have plan magazines. All major publications print short, such stories. There's a planet-wide interest in the later-day development of science fiction. So one thing that's interesting about the outline for Zapgun is that, much like how the comic books influence the weapons in, in the final book, in the outline, the 
it's a kind of a commentary on science fiction and the main character is a science fiction writer in a kind of Vonnegut way, which we don't see Dick do very often at this point in his career. Um, but uh, there's time travel, there's a war. Um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting piece. And I definitely think a lot of it, there's a time traveler from the year 2040. And then there's a whole thing about like, no, he's really from way further in the future. And so there's like twists and turns about where the characters are coming from. There's a war, there's weapons. It, it's, so it has a lot of the penultimate it, truth in it then. Sort it of sounds, yeah, it sounds a little bit like Dr. Futurity too. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's also true. Yeah. yeah, and so um, I do think that the outline is very interesting, and personally I think that, you know, depending upon what drugs he was doing at the moment, it might have been a good novel, um, but um, was he writing it in the hovel or not? I don't know. Um, but I, I think that there's interesting ideas, and I think um, that the outline is definitely worth reading, so... Um, if you get, it was in the PKD Society newsletter number sixteen. That's where um, we got it. And there's also uh, okay. thoughts from Roger Zelazny in it. So if you mm. want to read that too, um, but yeah, uh, I think you know that's the interesting thing is that he did not stick with the outline at all. He ended up writing something uh, completely different, and I think that's very interesting. Um, now the well, I mean, uh, have we talked about it? Dick's a pantser, isn't he? Yeah, he's mostly a pantser. Yeah, I think so. But I- I'm not entirely sure, which, you know. Yeah, I don't know if he does a whole lot of outlining. I think he did the outline this time because they asked him to do they it. They paid, said, we'll give him money for it. Yeah, they for paid it. him for it. So. Yeah. And seriously, I would be a very wealthy man if I got paid for my outlines because I, like, have a box that's just full of <laughs> outlines. Um, <laughs> But that I, most of which I've never written. Um, so one thing that's interesting is that we may have uh, just as well talked about what happened in the year 1965 and 66 because the, the a shorter version of this novel was originally published as Project Plowshare. Terrible title. And that was the title. In Worlds of Tomorrow, uh, a magazine in December of 65 and January of 66. Um, this shortened version, um, I did manage to get a PDF of Worlds of Tomorrow from um, Jesse at SFF Audio. Shout out to Jesse. Um, and I looked over it a little bit, but I didn't have the patience to see what was different because it was most of, of the novel was there. Uh, but I will say that um, one thing that's interesting about him titling it Project Plowshare the th- well, one thing that I find really interesting is he was hired to write this book, The Zap Gun, uh, by Pyramid Books. He got paid for the outline, and then he went and published it elsewhere with a different... <laughs> well, I don't think he intended this. What I'm saying is, <laughs> what I think happened here is, he, originally, he wanted to do a novel called Project Plowshare. He wrote all of this as Project Plowshare, and I think he added in lines about the zap gun in order to complete the contract with Pyramid two years later. Right. And that is the difference. Totally not, a, not associated, but right. he... 
And so there's two or three instances in the book where I highlighted where he actually had them say zap gun. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the fact that it's called zap gun or that those lines were in there was entirely to get that thousand dollars upon completion and publication. And we know that not too soon before that, when he wrote the three stigmata of Palmer Eldridge, he couldn't get his driver's license renewed until he paid off his parking tickets. So um, we know uh, Phil needed money um, uh, during this period. So I'm sure he was more than willing. I'm not sure where we were at. Uh, Do you have the timeline up, Larry? Do you know where we were at in Divorcepedia? Divorcepedia? I can bring it up real quick. Yeah. um, Oh, man. Well, what, what are you talking about? 67? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he married Nancy in 66. Oh, so we were we were happy Phil with Nancy here. <laughs> uh, which is why he's only writing days. about 18-year-olds. So. <laughs> yeah. This is this was happy married Phil with Nancy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. Um yeah, that's why we look at the timeline, guys. Um, yeah, yeah that's great. why we have Dick's Divorcepedia. It's fine. <laughs> um yeah, so, and I d- definitely, again, on the outline, I want to give a shout-out to Zach Woods, Eric Jennings, and um, also to a listener, Michael Academy from, from Indiana, who, who hooked us up with a PDF of the Kim Stanley Robinson's book on Philip K. Dick, which is out have you been Have you been reading that? I have been reading it, and I'll have quotes uh, from it coming up here soon. Oh, Ooh. Um, yeah, I haven't read it cover to cover, but I I picked it, I read parts to do with the books that were were. Well, I mean, just between us, it, is it good? Um, just between just us, between yeah. us and everybody yeah. listening and everyone listening. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. All right, all right, but not a shocker considering Ken Stanley Robinson is considering this course. Yeah, um, and for those of you, uh, I know. Uh, what on the thread about the Kim Stanley Robinson's book, I got hammered by somebody for saying that Aurora was one of the best science fiction novels of the 21st century. And this person told me that Phil would hate it. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> uh, what yeah, right. Phil would have about it. How is that a criteria for me? I know. I was like, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's besides the point. Um, but yeah, shout out to our listeners who have been hooking us up with materials that we don't have. That has been a resource that um, I really love the fact that we have been able to call on our listeners to, yeah, we appreciate uh, it. to uh, help us out with materials. That's been um, uh, really, really, really helpful. But especially Zach Woods, he, he's the real MVP because uh, he's sent right, me... Everyone, everyone is equal. They're all, they're all great. No, Zach sent me his FBI files, <laughs> so... So Zach is fine. Zach's better than everyone else. And you haven't shared right. them with us yet. I shared them with Larry. I did. Did oh, you? Fuck you, man. <laughs> well, no, I shared them with Larry because that file has a bunch of audio interviews that he can cut together for intros. Mm-hmm. That's why. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, you should look at the emails. Like every once in a while, I should pay attention. Yeah, you should. Um, you shared them with him. He didn't even care. All right, so that's it for the publication history of the Zap Gun. Uh, it was printed by Pyramid, and it didn't. I'm not sure that it ever got reprinted. Between, I think Berkeley, when uh, Ru- Russell Galen was 
like in the late seventies when um when he was helping Phil get his back catalog in, I think is when it got back into print, but I'm not entirely certain on that. All right, so that's it for the writing and publication history. Langhorn, it's time. For what? You know what it's time for. <laughs> Are you ready? Story break. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> I did just hear that, right? Story breakdown? Yes. Yeah. Story break. Let's break it down. Let's break it down, Langhorn. Tell us what happened. Larry, give us the... the tell us what's happening right. while I All right. All right. off and pee. Yeah, yeah, whatever. All right, so but this is the best part because they both go and piss while I'm trying to tell a story. <laughs> I'm still here. David's gone, so just get on with it so he doesn't bore everybody to tears again. <laughs> All right, so the zap gun begins uh, with our, our boy Lars talking about how he's a fraud and how everything sucks, and if he fails, they're going to kill him, and how he hates uh, the general, uh, whatever his name is, ass clown. Nicks. General Nitz. Nicks. Nitz? Nitz or Nicks? I think Nitz. it's Nitz. It's Nitz. Yes. N-I-T-Z. Yep. This is definitely the best of the... PKD names this yeah. month. There's so many odd names in this. Lars, Lars Powder Dry. Powder Dry. <laughs> pretty hard to beat. <laughs> All right. Fuck. What does happen in this? That's like having a John Woo movie with a character named like John Two Gun. Uh, <laughs> John Two Gun Shooter. God, I really don't remember what happens in the first half of this book. Because it doesn't because matter because the book starts later. <laughs> it's 60 pages of, okay, uh-huh, who cares? Yeah, so there's good stuff. There's, he, goes, uh, uh, he goes about his daily business of running uh, running his job as the, uh, what, what are the, he's the, uh, He's the sole proprietor of a weapons fashion design He's the uh, boutique. weapons fashion designer for yeah. the entire hemisphere. Or I don't know quite how they have it separated, but I think it's by hemisphere. So the country or the world is divided into two blocks. There's the West Block, and then there's the, the Meat. Meat Beast. Yeah. So there's the Eastern Block, and there's the Western Block. <laughs> And they had, had there was a war. This is what was decided. These two are the 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 world, and it blah blah blah. There's some other countries, but they don't ever play into anything. And so our boy is doing his thing. He's talking to his buddies. He's he's kind of in control, which is odd for a PKD character right away. He doesn't start with "fuck my life is." Terrible. He does say, oh, shit, I'm kind of a fraud. But then he, he's like, all right, this sucks. Let's do our thing. Fucking you go over here. Give me my shot. Let's do this fucking thing and get out of here. I got to go fuck my girl in France. And uh, so that's uh, basically how the first 20 pages or so go. Do we, get any, goes, do we get any insight into what the actual job is? Uh, no. Right. Um, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> no, it, it, com- it comes. A, it comes a bit. It comes a bit later, but you get you get some insights into but what we, it might be. We really don't. Get, uh, we're we're told he supposedly goes to some other realm and comes back and draws things, 
But other than that, it's very vague. It's very much a well a a, a question that's hanging in the air. Do we ever get a scene where he's actually in a trance and we kind of yes. feel I like because I feel like I missed a part uh, of the book. No, we don't really get the trance and him drawing. Okay, we, yeah, we I didn't get, think so. We, we get, get the results at the back end. Yeah, we get. Mm-hmm. He we goes get into trance, the, the, and then, the, and everything else is a blackout, basically. Yeah. So that's all we're told okay. throughout the whole thing, except for that one final thing. All right, so so our guy goes to France. His girlfriend turns out to be smarter than pretty much everyone else, and her name is uh, Marin Fane, and she runs his Paris office. He has a New York office and a Paris office. And not only is she his mistress, does he have a wife? No. 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 I was oddly shocked that so-called, he did So-called mistress, I guess it's the sign of the times. And uh, so she's like, dude, you're broken. And there's no way really to fix you. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he's really worried about this, uh, the East Block version of, of him. And he's also kind of turned on by her because he, he's never seen her, but he knows she does the same job he does. And yet he, he's intimidated, but for some reason that makes him kind of horny. And so he's like, I got to meet, I got to meet this person and figure out what's going on. And his mistress is like, yeah, you want to meet her banger. That's all you want. You just want to dip your wick. That you fucking psycho, and then a uh, a robot he invented is like, yeah, she's right. You're a fucking psycho. Yeah. Uh, old Orville. Old Orville. Old Orville. <laughs> like a, a magic eight ball with it's a, a ma- yeah yeah with like something like I think I, I questions a little thing yeah. they had in the mid nineties yeah you ask it yes or no questions and says yeah. I'm a rock and you were like oh my god I was totally thinking of a rock. <laughs> and so but Lars asks some complex questions of the device and it really has to uh, it really has to dig deep to get some answers because it does, normally it's, it yeah, it's just at the same time it's, true <laughs> yeah messes with him not a, it's not just a, an AI he's like an AI that can fuck with you which yeah. is great <laughs> one of my favorite characters by the way <laughs> horrible uh, so after that, he comes up with this plan where he's going to go to the, uh, he's going to go meet with this guy that he had a confrontation with earlier, this Russian agent who is at the, uh, who is at the Ru- Russian consul, and he's going to go say, "Hey, dude, uh, if I can get some pictures of this girl, I'll give you the information you wanted earlier." And he's, and the the guy turns out to be like, not really interested, uh, says. Yeah, you'll probably meet the girl, but hey, you're going to get killed because there's satellites from aliens now, and uh, and we're all doomed, but see this gun? It's for you. And it's you kill you. from Sirius. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I should mention, there's also an agency called Tush, Kush, Cash. What is it catch. called? Catch. I was reading his catch, but yeah. Tush, yeah, Larry? Is it run by ZZ Top? <laughs> you don't know. So Catch is a sort of a freelance spy agency 
and they work both sides of the fence, and they kind of pass information. So they give uh, our boy a terrible picture of his crush where he can't make out the uh, her true form because she's blurred out. And But he's still like... Kind of, that's, I don't know, that blur, kind of sexy. So, uh, as I said, there's satellites. The satellites turn out to be this big danger. All of a sudden, they co- keep popping up. By the third satellite, they start uh, entrapping cities and making it so we can't see the city itself, and we don't know what's happening in there. We, of course, come to the correct clu- conclusion that it's uh, slavers from some alien planet and Ch- uh, chitinous slavers chitinous 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 <laughs> they got ch- they got chitin they're crabs <laughs> <laughs> so they uh so then the governments uh come up with this plan where they're going to get these two sort of psychic uh weapons designers together come up with the ultimate weapon on the way to meet the other weapons designer named Lilo, 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 Top Chev. Uh, he picks up our, our boy picks up a comic book by chance that is the best comic book. I want to read this comic book. It's called the the Blue Hero cephalopod. of Space and Time. The blue Cephalopod Man from Triton. From Triton. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, the Blue Cephalopod Man from Triton. Has all these misadventures, and he uses all these crazy weapons that turns out to be where our heroes are getting their little drawings from. They're not original drawings. They're from this dude. But that happens later. Anyway, so the, uh, the fucking guy, he goes to, the, to Iceland. That's the meeting spot with his comic book in his back pocket. He doesn't care anything at all about what's going on. The world's doomed. We're all going to be slaves to chitness fuck faces. And what he does is he just goes to the door, meets the girl. She's like a 17, 18-year-old, slight little immature thing. And he's like, I'm in love. I'm in love with this little girl. And that's all that matters to me. Who fucked the world and everything. I got to get me some of that. And yeah, that's what happens. Like, she's like, "Oh, it's great to meet you. Will you take these pills?" And he's like, Fuck "Yeah, baby, I'll take your pills." So he takes the pills and and dies. Not the end of the story. Luckily, it's the East Block, so there's cameras everywhere. They come in, save him, and they're like, "Oh, it might have been an accident." And then everyone's like, "Come on, look at her face." She's like, "I fucking tried to kill him. What? I don't care." So she's a bitch. And uh, but in an immature way, so I wouldn't blame her for being a bitch. And she's had a shitty life, so I give her a pass. You give her a pass, Anthony. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm gonna give her a pass, but I'm not. I'm gonna stop you for a second, only because I think she's a little freaked out after they bring him back to life. Like she, I don't think she has a kind of a blasé attitude about it. I think she's like, oh shit, what did I do? Mm-hmm. I think she's a little bit more kind of freaked out by the fact. reason she tried to kill him it's kind of fucked up I, no, oh, yeah, I wouldn't argue that what's up Scott what was what was her reason for trying to kill him again it was basically a, to arrange for her own safety within the confines just, of, of PP so it's not it's like she was 
No, she deliberately didn't hostile with suicide. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, that, that the happened. Whole reason for killing him was so Marin wouldn't commit suicide because that mm. was her vision. Ah, uh, uh, there it is. I mean, again, save the earth. This woman commits suicide. Who knows? Anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll give you half that, Anthony. You know, she was freaked out, but she. I'll she take half credit off. She tried to play it off. Uh, so they end up mind melding. And they they come up with an old water engine or steam engine. Donkey engine. A, donkey. a donkey steam engine. Or a wagon. <laughs> and here's where the story actually starts. Yeah. Yeah. So basically they find out that they've been uh, copying this comic book and that they haven't been doing anything for their entire career. They're not just... Frauds, they're frauds of the worst kind. So, again, then, then they go back and they're ready to get killed. They try to escape, but then they're saved by Dr. Death or Dr. Dead, who's like, all right, let's get the FBI in here, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't fucking matter. And then they get back to, they get back to, the, to the U.S. and uh, Marin shoots herself in the face. Uh, I think she meant to shoot herself in the face, but she used exploding tip bullets, mm. which uh, the great thing about them is they're not just exploding tip bullets. It's that when they explode, the shrapnel also explodes. So it's like a double exploding tip. She kind of, mm-hmm. she fucks herself up and dies six hours later. And uh, then our boy goes into some kind of comatose state, ends up in Seattle for, he gets there 24 hours later, wakes up, calls, and says, so what's going on? He says, your, your buddy, uh, your buddy Pete is back in Washington trying to solve the problems, and uh, you should come back here. So he goes back there. There's this old man who uh, Lars thinks is an android, but says that he had come back from, but the, the old man says he is come back from the future, but he's senile, so he can't really convey information. All he has is this one story he constantly repeats about how he was in the war and he was one of the, the main guys who ran the TW... Was it the TWG? The time warping... Or time warping gun... It's a time warpage generator, I believe. Warpage generator. All right, all right. Time warpage generator. I got it written down. Time warpage generator. So <laughs> the list of all the weapons. When it when that. it exploded, when the gun finally crapped out, it exploded, sent him to the past. That's the story he has, and he. I, I'm. I swear to God, I am not mentioning Thebs. <laughs> Fuck that guy. All right, so. That was an awkward part of the storyline. It really felt felt sort of tacked on. I, I, oh, all right, I'll mention Febs for five seconds. <laughs> Febs is great. I think that's a great character. I think that's a great short story. Has no place in this fucking book whatsoever. It's What's just the there to it's it? just there to pad the pages. So I'm I'm kind of offended by it, but I, I enjoyed the story. All right, so wait, wait, wait! I forget. Is Febs the one that's peddling the game? No, Febs is the the evil one who becomes a concomity 
and oh, at the very end, and then he's like, "What's in this box?" And he kills everybody in the room. Kills everyone. Yeah. Okay. Hear what you're saying. All right. Yeah. All right. So where, where was I? Oh, oh so uh, Lars gets back to Washington, D.C., and he says, "This guy's an android." They test him. He's not an android. And then he's like, "All right." So we're going to have to go deep under and try to figure out what's going on with this dude. Because if we go into our trance state while we're in the same room with the guy and no one else is around in a certain perimeter, we will catch his thoughts. How they came to that conclusion or how they figured that out or how that works, fuck it, doesn't matter. Uh, So him and and Lilo, they go deep into their, their trance state. And it turns out that this old man is this toy maker, Klug, who he had met earlier once. And Klug turns out to be our hero. He has all the answers. He's not just the guy with the answers. He's the guy that invented the thing that's going to save us from the chitinous aliens. So Klug, who had been treated like shit, frankly, earlier in the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they dismiss uh, him like crazy. Yeah, he's the old man, and uh, during this is the only time we see inside the visions. Lars sees Klug in the vision as the old man, but the old man can speak and says, you know, I can't really tell you anything because the way the time shift works is that if I break this barrier of time, it'll fuck me up a lot. It'll send me into this loop of, of uh, this basically hell loop of being stuck in time and blah, blah, blah. And so he can't reveal anything, but he can hint at, at what's going on and how to beat the aliens. So he gives hints, and by the time uh, Lars wakes up, he has just written one sentence that says, the man in the maze. So that's the hint he needed. He knew he had to find a toy that Klug had made. They find the toy that turns out to be an empathy machine, which <laughs> is an elegant solution to war, <laughs> an empathy machine. They mass produce this empathy machine. They send it to the, the people, not the soldiers, but the people of uh, Titan. Is it Titan? No, it's Sirius. Sirius. They send this to yeah. the, the, the chitinous people of Sirius. They all learn empathy, and they consider humans... Instead of being worthy of enslavement, they consider them to be cute little pets, yeah. and they leave us alone. They and they're really into our thumbs. Yeah, they like the thumbs. <laughs> they thought they it was a us. little anomaly. Uh, but so they, and everyone lives happily ever after in a traditional story. But in this story, we have twenty-five more pages of junk. So. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, dude. I got to I got to what I thought was the end and went. There's 25 more pages left. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just ignoring that that I that happened. <laughs> yeah, the book ended where where it was supposed to in my mind, and that was a great book. And the, so the Lars pages didn't. Bother. Lars wakes up a I I don't know if it's a couple days or a couple weeks after, but life is starting to return to normal. Uh, Lars wakes up next to uh, his teen bride and uh, he goes to make breakfast, get some coffee. 
she wakes up and she's like, hey, what are you thinking about? And he was like, I was thinking about Marin. And then I was thinking, like, I'd really like to see her even though she's dead. So I'm going to kill myself. Is that cool? And she's like. And she's like, oh. at first she's like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> then she's That like, makes a kind of sense. She yeah, she, well, she yeah. is. Yeah. She's like, yeah. well, I'm going to go back to the East, see if that's, they're cool with me now. Like, change some of the rules, make my life a little easier. And, uh, yeah, here's some pills. Go go knock yourself out. <coughs> and uh, so then he's getting ready to do it. He pops the pills in his mouth, and she's like, well, maybe I'll stay. Maybe I'll do your, your Paris office or whatever. You know, whatever. And so he spits out the pills, <laughs> and uh, they live happily ever after. But it doesn't end there. No, because... <laughs> <laughs> still more. I mean, we still have fifteen pages of uh, <laughs> of Febs, well, Surly G Febs, another uh, great name. Who is uh, so pissed off that he hasn't gotten his place on Earth that he gets all of his concomity buddies together? There's six of them in total, including him. He's having this private meeting. He ends up killing them all, making this weapon, getting ready to go. And uh, and get his place on Earth loses his fucking mind when he figure when they force empathy on him. Yeah, they deliver it in a little package. Deliver Here. empathy in a little package. Here's here's your game. Enjoy. What is this thing? This How do I make it work? How can I make that little furry thing inside the maze feel better about his situation? Right, it just, it just devolves ruins, into mental illness for ruins him. his mind. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have a short scene with one of the. Uh, one of the catch agents, uh, one of the someone we've met earlier, getting a package. And since I really just skimmed the last twenty-three pages or whatever it is, I'm not sure what that package is. Does anyone? It's the know? maze again. It's the maze again. It's the maze again. Okay. They're they're being sent out as like preemptive, preemptive hits on on uh, unempathetic warmongers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the dick equivalent of turning yeah. your car on and then exploding. They got yeah. really casinoed. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it should be mentioned too that the the I don't think it was if it was uh, my apologies, but uh, the weapons that these psychics design or that they pull from the hyperdimensional weapon realm, right? It's supposed to be this higher dimensional realm where there's these platonic ideals of weapons. Yeah. They go in there and see it while they're in trance, and they produce a trance sketch, and then it goes through this whole production. But what they do is they're not actually functional weapons. They only look functional. They only seem functional. And both both governments, both hemispheres, basically work on these uh, false. Movie, uh, what would you call it? Yeah, we'll basically. Talk about that because yeah. that gets into yeah. the grander theme. So of, weird. Yeah, yep. that, that gets into the grander theme of the zap gun and what Dick was trying to do here. I yeah, think, we'll definitely talk about all that stuff. That's yeah, I mean, Cold War. This is a book about. This is a satire of the Cold War. Totally. If you factor in that it was originally kind of put together or written in 1963, you have the East and the West showdown basically over, had just happened over Cuba, and you have the East and West powers in Russia and the U.S., the two superpowers with tons of nukes that they're basically never going to use or they can't use, and if they do use them, then we're all dead, right? So... I think the analogy and the theme that Dick is trying to do here in a satire way that you have these 
you know, what he calls fashion weapon designers, right? <laughs> I mean, he's just, by calling it fashion, he's basically saying, like, this is all for show. These yeah. weapons are just for show. They don't really matter. But, and there is some offensive stuff in there that we'll get to when we get to the offensive bits. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. Page four. Yep. And he talks about, um, like, oh, uh, if I, I, since I mentioned it. This oh, is, is that where he drops that in bomb, David? That's, that's another part. Uh, James, like, no, it's page five. Miserable counterparts in the world of clothing, they like women. Yeah. His predecessor, Wade, yeah. being heterosexual too, had in fact killed himself over, um, uh, uh, color Tura of Dresden, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, but basically, it's it's completely heterosexist and awful. So <laughs> Fashion is a shit show. Yeah, but... In anyways, real life, fashion is a shit show. Fashion is a shit show. But basically, I, I, we're getting sidetracked. The Cold War thing is very much what the theme of this novel is, and I think... Um, when you get into ideas with plot and things, and one of the reasons why I don't care about the 25 pages at the end that really don't matter is that one of the reasons they don't matter is they don't thematically tie in. It's this is why you like Tarantino. Mm. Well, that's true. I do like Tarantino. But, um, but what I think the Zabgun is trying to do is just to really send home a message about using science fiction to send a message about the Cold War. And if you factor in the idea that he was hired by Pyramid Books to write a pew-pew book, right, it's fucking hilarious mm. that this is the book that he turned in, right? Yeah. That it's a book about where characters design weapons and they're called fashion designers because the weapons are just show their fashion fashion and um that's a really i think a really great way of of using science fiction to make the point um and it makes this a deeper novel than i think sometimes people give it credit for and i think this is this is dick playing in an almost vonnegut level of satire through the majority of the book i think it's Where, a little on the nose to be to be Vonnegut. Yeah, well, I mean, Vonnegut can be a little on the nose, too, sometimes, too. Slaughterhouse-Five is pretty on the nose. Really? With the bombing of Dresden? No, it's a counterpoint. It's totally different. That's, that's not a... Oh, I mean, okay. well, Dick says, Dick says, nuclear weapons suck. He actually says it. Yeah. I've got, yeah, I've got it. I've got, in here. I've got it noted here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is some, um, interesting stuff with that, but I think one of the things that's for me, and I did make a list of, of the weapons that they designed in these drug induced trances, <laughs> and they're pretty fucking hilarious. Revolution the guns. <laughs> There's the, um, the evolution gun that devolves people. Um, there you know, like is, protoplasm, right? Yeah. Yes. Turns it evolves them so much they end up just a, a pile of amino acids. <laughs> right. There's the psychic bestower gun. <laughs> I think that just makes you psychic. Um, one of my personal favorites, and we can go deeper on this on YouTube, <laughs> I have the page, is the sheep dip isolator. 
which makes yeah. you think that you're like in the middle of a factory farm because it's yeah. so bad that you want to leave yeah. town. Okay, that was that was that was an absolutely fun one because the weapon itself embeds itself in the surfaces of things, right. in in between the molecules. So you will never right. get the stench you can't out. Get it? Yeah. Once you've hit a city with the sheep dip isolator, it will be unlivable for the rest of time. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like talk about your non-lethal ordinance, but yeah. very effective. And Not actually the real thing, though. That's the thing, right? Right. And then all these are fake the, weapons. This is the, all from comic books. <laughs> the next weapon is the Civic Notification Distorter, which uh, ruins your paperwork. Yeah. And, uh, only manages to save half of your paperwork in case of annihilation. <laughs> and therefore, it just disrupts everything. Uh, there's the lobotomy gas. Um, and then the time war page generator. Um, so those those that's, are all the weapons that I... Is that the that Xerox I, one? Which one's the Xerox one? That's the, one where the specific notification distorter, I believe. That's the one where, where if you try to copy something, it'll make mistakes. And then if you copy off the copy... It will yes, be yes. That's the civic notification okay. distorter, and um, and then the noise one. What was that one called? Oh, I don't know if I have that one. Remember the one that rains down yeah. little gum wrappers. It rains down the little pellets, which you can't find, and which yeah. produce incredible noise, thus keeping you from your needed sleep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, there were some great <laughs> weapons, and here's here's uh, in general, I would say the difference between the first half of the book and the second half is the second half has a story, but the first half has all these great Mm. satire moments. Mm. Whereas there's no story. You're getting a lot of character. You're getting all that stuff. You have these great satire moments and these jokes that are funny. So I think it, it kept me, it kept me at least interested in the first half. Just reading. Then you got the comic book. Um, uh, the blue uh, cephalopod from Titan, um, which was was great. Um, hold on, I'm finding that part. Um, th- that part was fucking hilarious too. Um, the blue cephalopod, uh, right? Just all all the comic book. Although I will say he was kind of mean to comic books in general. <laughs> like, this is the, this, but it was this the, particular the, title is supposed to be just a just a, a real sort of low quality product from West Africa written right. by a displaced German. Yeah, right? something or it's <laughs> yeah. just completely off. So page then, 151 yeah. of the uh, Mariner edition. I want oh, every back issue of the blue cephalopod man <laughs> from Titan rounded up. A complete file from issue one, volume one, he added. It's a 3D comic book. You know the lurid kind that wiggles when you look at it? I mean, the girls wiggle, breast, pelvic area, all there is to wiggle. The monsters salivate. Well, maybe Dick was reading a lot of Tijuana Bibles at the time. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then he says, uh, it's one of the worst, but it's not illegal. It's not outright pornographic. Like you say, the girls wiggle, but at least they don't. Go over every issue with your best engineers thoroughly. List um, weapons employed in all the sequences. Yeah, and um, so I thought that part was also hilarious. And I think well, I like I like the one tit rule. <laughs> only 
Only yeah, that, kid, because then it's child friendly. Yeah, two tits are for kids. Yeah. So, what? So, what? I, uh, it wasn't just ahead. the writer; it was the artist. He was um, Oral Gia Kamachi. He was a Caucasian of Italian origin. Oh, yeah. He immigrated to Ghana ten years ago. He's in and out of a mental institution in Calcutta. <laughs> uh, and not a reputable one. Not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Without electric shock or uh, the malic suppressors, he would be in a complete autistic, schizophrenic withdrawal. Further, he's an ex-inventor. For instance, his evolution rifle. There's one we didn't have, the evolution right. rifle. He actually built one about 12 years ago. <laughs> and his name is Oral. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, and then I love, uh, what, uh, Lars says, well, Lars said presently, that's the weapon fashion designer biz for us. Uh, yeah, this, this shit is hilarious to me. Um, one of the reasons why this book worked for me completely is that I, even for the moments that didn't work, I was fucking laughing out loud through a lot of it. And so even if, Shit didn't work all the time, you know. Um, and maybe we should talk next about like the plowshare thing because that is what he. Yeah, that really confused me. Yeah, and I know you had to look. You had to look up the definition of plowshares. You didn't know that. Well, I knew what it meant, but uh, I was wondering if there was an alternate definition or something. No, nah, PKD's being Christian in that case. You know, yeah, that's yeah. basically that's basically a, you know, t- turn the swords into plowshares. I think there's a there's even a, a yeah, statue in-, in front of the UN showing some so showing some person basically hammering a sword into something out into 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 a, 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 a you know, something to utilize for agriculture. Hmm. That's in front of the UN. You know, that they right. Very and I there. and I think he later when he was the, the way they use it is as a verb, right? It's to plowshare a thing. To yeah. plow. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of inventing that aspect of it. But I think what he's trying to do too with when Clug shows up later, and I think, and I know Lampy talked about this a little bit on his podcast, is the idea that he was kind of putting some importance on toys, right? And that play is an important thing towards mm-hmm. creating empathy, which is something that eventually the weapon turns into. But what I think Dick was trying to do with the whole plowshare thing is create this idea that when they're making all these fake weapons, they're doing all this R&D, and then they're going to end up like making, turning these, yeah, we'll come up with weapons so it makes it look like we're, we're continuing the Cold War, but we'll turn these into products that you can use, and that's the kind of plowshare thing. Yeah, which and, the concomities signs off on. That's right. what the con- concomities are there for. There's six people randomly selected as uh, representation of the market uh, desires of the hemisphere. And yeah, they basically look at the products and say, yeah, we like that one. Sell us that. Get, I do want to talk more about the concomity, but yeah. on Ooh. the plowshare thing, I do like how that they have all, they're all numbered. Like, oh, you're talking about weapon 241. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so like you could have trading cards of, uh, of all these weapons. Yeah, he said, um, 
Well, that's 202, my sketch. He stared at the object. Plowshare, this was a product for the retail market derived from the division of one from comedy on the board. What's it do? Uh, he's talking about old Orville here. And he's like, it amuses, you know? And he's like, he's thinking, oh, I came up with this AI that was going to like run weapon systems and now it's being used as a, as a toy. Yeah. The pure sap. So. Yeah, only two questions. I think his girlfriend says at one point. You know, she's like, "Oh, well, you asked it some, you asked it some deep stuff, and it's uh, yeah. it's got to it's got to go deep to get it." But you know, <laughs> usually they just use it for goofy questions, yeah, <laughs> because they're pure saps. I found that I found that because the culture is broken up between is is split between two types of people. You basically got your epsilons and your morons. Yep, you know, it's straight out of Huxley. <laughs> but his descriptions of pure saps, as I've been, as I read, I just finished reading it this morning, and honestly, in the middle of all this uh, COVID nineteen craziness, too soon, Philip. Yeah, right. <laughs> too soon. Just it was like right on, right on the money. Just right on the money for just that whole. Yeah, it's thing uh, we're seeing in culture where there's this, that, you know, this, this division, this this, this proud arrogance and ignorance. I didn't mention in the in the the breakdown is that there's two classes of people and and yeah. one are people that know all the weapons and everything are fake and then yeah. there's the the common people that believe in what their government is doing. Yeah, I've got a qu- I've I've got the actual passage lined up here. Oh, okay. it, it was so good. Ah. The pure, the, uh, the pure sap is afraid in the back of his mind that weapons like this exist. If we didn't show them, the pure sap would believe in their existence anyhow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And he'd be afraid that somehow, for reasons obscure to him, they might be used on him. Maybe he didn't pay his jet hopper license fee on time, or he cheated <laughs> on his income tax, or maybe he knows deep down inside him that he's not the way God built him originally. There's Gnosticism popping up its head there for a yeah, second. Right. That in some way he doesn't quite fathom he's corrupt. Deserves item 278 turned his way, Pete said, nodding. But he's wrong, Lars said futilely. He doesn't deserve anything, anything at all, remotely like 278 or 240 or 210, any of them. He doesn't, and they don't. He gestured at the screen. But 278 exists, Jack said. The pure sap knows it. And when he sees it used on an uglier life form than him, he thinks, hey, maybe they passed me by. Maybe because those fellows are so really bad, those pee-pee bastards, 278 isn't going to get pointed at me, and I can go to my grave later on, not this year, but say 50 years from now, which means, and this is the crux, Lars, he doesn't have to worry about his own death right now. He can pretend he will never die. Yeah. <laughs> that my, my, my notes say, too real, too that soon. so insightful. <laughs> it's so insightful, that passage right there. Yeah. That whole scene where they're watching that video yeah, and, and they talk about it. And like, ours is so upset about like, why are we doing this? Look at yeah. how disgusting it is. Yeah. And it, you know, the other guys like the people need this shit, man. They need to see that other people are worse than they are so that they can live their lives. Yeah. Which is basically what we do with reality television we we do that in so many ways. You're right. Too real, you know. It's Everything. where we're it's where we're at right now. Yeah, it's where we're at right now. This is this yeah. is what this is what we're dealing. This, uh, yeah, this, you know, we uh, need the tiger king to show us that you know, <laughs> you're better than this person. You know, that's what we do. So I, I also 
loved the scene when when um, Shirley G. Fibbs becomes a concomity. I thought that Shirley. was what Shirley. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, Different character, David. <laughs> Shirley G. Fibbs. Um, but uh, I've got it here, page seventeen of the Mariner edition, and uh, it's greetings. Said the letter delivered by stamped mail. You have been selected out of millions of your friends and neighbors. You are now a concomity. And um, <laughs> I love that scene. I thought that was hilarious. That whole concept <laughs> of, of the division. But one thing that I found, too, on the, the publisher's page, clearinghouse sweepstakes. Right, right. It's a totally yeah. cheap notice. It's on cheap paper with bad perforation. Yeah. <laughs> And that is one page before the N-bomb gets dropped, and um, because... Oh, what is the... I, I didn't notice it. So. I got page, it right here. Page 19. Uh, oh, I lied. I did not get it right there. Well, I've got it. Sure, read it. Uh, in detecting deadbeats, he was unmatched. He could look an applicant, especially a Negro, over less than one microsecond and discern the actual composition... God damn it, Anthony. That is not the N-word. Oh, I see. Just kind of awkward, though. A <laughs> N-word. Uh, an awkward N-word. An N-word, but it's not the N-word. So- sorry, Larry. N N-word. <laughs> I corrected it. It is a um, out-of-date reference um, and uh, pretty offensive the way it's in. And I know it's... Sorry, very loud motorcycle. Um, I know it's, it's not... Um, PKD saying this, it's a character saying this, but... Correct. But, but we can't have characters saying things. Well, no, no, it's fine. I, I'm not saying that it needs to come out, but I'm just... It just, you know... But anyways, on I will say it's that... Bad. Um, you can read Huckleberry Finn. Well, I, I'm not saying it had to come out, Larry. I didn't, I'm not saying that. So, cool your jets. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, one thing that's also on this section, though, is um, the first use of homeopapes in here, and I did want to talk about how um, all the PKD language, the homeopapes, the autofacts, they're all here, but on page 16 or 17, there's a new one I hadn't seen, which is edutapes. Edutapes. So, oh, no, we've, I, we've had that we've, one before. Yeah, we've had that before. We've had edutapes auto before. And all, yeah. That. yeah. All right, add that to the list um, of <laughs> ones that we're going to look out for. But, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, you know, he has, I found he has one in there. He has one in there that I just can't stand. It's uh, his shortening of instant. <laughs> Stant. The, didn't Stant, it man. pause every time it came up? It made me pause yeah. every time it came up. It just doesn't flow. He has he has some remarkably prescient stuff. Like at one point, uh, I'm showing on page 44 of the email. It's just email. It's just Stand, it's email. Yeah. yeah, it's email, but with an actual physical component. I don't know how they manage it, but uh, right. W W T K Y T I says his says his partner, and it, she says truth telling. She disagreed. W T K W Y T I. No, he said. <laughs> I don't want to know what my trouble is. <laughs> what your trouble is, W-Y-T-I. I, so basically it's, you know, it's a... Uh, it's like a... What, what do we call them now? We call those... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a hashtag. Right. You know, today I learned, uh, or what T-I-L, too long didn't read. 
But it's like he's, he's basically like a proto hashtag here, but it's clumsy and horrible. <laughs> I don't know what to no, I don't want to know what my trouble is. <laughs> oh, yeah. and also stuff. on that note, on that note, David, uh, he also mentions like super rat traps, which we had in Doctor Blood Money, mm-hmm. like super uh, technical, technologically advanced rat traps, and yes. he also mentions uh, uh, what is it called? I have it written down here, but I can't read my writing. Uh, Ag, Jesus Christ! It looks like cheese, but I, I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> well, while you're looking at that, um, I, he, there's also a scene in this one where um, Lars gets in a cab and ha- and 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 Kemi. Ag Kemi, A.G. which Kemi. Uh, was a, a big deal in simul in the simulacra. Yeah, and there is a drop of the term simulacra at one point in here. Um, and there's also a scene where he gets into a cab and basically... I'm saying, I'm saying that even though you deny it, I think there is one PKD universe. Okay. Hmm. Well, we'll, we'll maybe do a whole episode on that. One, maybe <laughs> we'll do a whole Dick's Cosmos episode. Yeah, PKD multiverse, maybe? But... Yeah, the Dickiverse. Yeah. yeah. Well, we know he reuses all the technology, and he reuses and 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 I the scene where he gets the therapy session with the cat. Um, I think I have that. Um, page eighty-two. Yeah. So, yeah, the cab says yes, sir, madam, <laughs> which it can drive itself around, but it can't like determine. Uh, he gender. uses that in every book, though. Yes. Yeah. There is always a talking cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's only 11 in the morning. Uh, only a drunk drinks at 11 in the morning. Um, <laughs> Thanks like for the judging me, Carr. The <laughs> Thanks yeah, for judging yeah. me, Carr. But that's the thing. He has had many times, I can't name yeah. exactly the book, but there are many times where characters get into cabs and the cabs like have to tell them, like, and, yeah, the, the, and tell the, them things. The cabs yeah. are super judgmental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cabs are very condescending in Dick's books, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, there's a vid phone on that page. Um, so yeah, we've definitely got all the technology covered. Um, but uh, in there, there's a null lapse train uh, in this one, which I liked. And then was that eighty seconds from Boston to New York? Back at the Senate, yeah. And, yeah. and the Kremlin are just kind of like. Maybe there's this thing called the Senate. I don't know, right? It's like this kind of amorphous thing, or like I think there's this thing called the Senate that does stuff. Well, isn't that in history? He talks about that. Talks about an old Senate. Yeah, I think. Hold on, let me look. I um, page yeah, he he mentions he mentions that there's two there's there's two basically the Senate and the Kremlin. Like the old Soviets and the old, yeah, it's page, yeah. that's that's kind of they're just sort of like figureheads now. Yeah, page eighty of the Mariner yeah. edition. They asked who Lars discovered were a mysterious dim organization called quote the United States Senate. Spokesman, <laughs> um, <laughs> a transparent shade named President Nathan Schwarzkopf. Like the like the League of Nations, such bodies perpetuated. The By the way, I looked up Norman Schwarzkopf to see if he had a brother or something like that named Nathan. Nathan Schwarzkopf. Right. Even not, though they had ceased, to even, 
be a chowder or marching society. And even in the U.S., there was an equally insubstantial entity called the Supreme Soviet had now <laughs> yelped. Okay, anyways, yeah, that's yeah, that's the scene. But, yeah, that's really funny stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I love, like, I think that there's a lot of really great details here and there. Um, the alien threat is funny that they just kind of, like, show up. They just take New Orleans and people are like, oh, hey, did New Orleans disappear, <laughs> right? Um, and Boise, Idaho. Right. Boise. Of all places. <laughs> um, but what's funny to me about the whole... But San Francisco is fine. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're still doing all their things in San Francisco. I think the aliens thing is kind of a dig at Wolheim and Ace, the fact that they're slavers. Um, because of all the times that he had books that were do do with, like, the slavers from Altair 6 or whatever. Yeah. And so I think he was kind of making a point. Like, I think he was kind of jabbing at that whole, like, pulp sci-fi thing with the slavers from Sirius. And he obviously didn't put a lot of thought or care into the aliens. There was only, like, only one page where... I mean, it was funny, but um, I think it was page 178. Let me see if I can find it. But Why are they called really sinuses? Why yeah. would people from Sirius be called sinuses? <laughs> it says, Ricardo Hastings says they're from Sirius, Lilo said, and they are slavers. As we suspected, they're chitinous, and they have a, a physiological hierarchy dating back millions of years. On planets of their system under a little under nine light years from here, warm-blooded life forms never evolved past lemur stage, a boreal with fox muzzles, most types nocturnal, some with prehensible tails. They don't regard us as anything but sentient freaks, just highly organized workhorse organisms that are somewhat clever manually. They admire our thumb. <laughs> uh, we can do all sorts of essential jobs. They think of us the way we do rats. But we test rats all the time. We try to learn. And that's the whole thing of like, oh, we don't want to be treated like rats, which yeah. as an animal rights person, he is kind of dipping into animal rights little bits and pieces yeah. sure. in these books, but especially coming up in androids. And so we're, we're seeing it a little bit, but that's all we get on the aliens. They're, they're barely there. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. And I that, like it. And we, uh, we, finally be, we finally beat them by a by going through their good sides. Yes. That's the whole point of the maze is that it teaches them, you know, it, it activates their, it activates their ethics and as, it, as it were. And they're like, uh, yeah, maybe slavery. Not, not such a great idea. We'll leave now. <laughs> and if you're adapting this, I think it would be hilarious, like to have a scene where they're like, where they basically figure out, well, will they go through the maze and, and they're going to develop empathy. And I would love to have Lars say like, well, how do you put that in a gun? You know, like yeah, right. Like, how do you, you load it in a gun? Like, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to turn this into a weapon? And um, I think they, uh, I mean the aliens remind me of Vogons, you know, mm. sort of that that oh, Douglas kind of kind yeah. of thing where it's you know they they totally lack any kind of empathy, but they're they love their own poetry. <laughs> right. Well. Um, I had to sit down and have a pan galactic uh, gargle blaster with them, right? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, we haven't referenced Hitchhiker's Guide here before. Like, um, I don't think this is... Well, I don't know. I mean, I think this book is a pure comedy, period. I think... It's a satire. I mean, it's yeah. definitely a satire. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think I enjoyed it so much because I was laughing. Um, it So but let's talk about it, it in the sense loses, of... Uh, he, I think it loses a lot of the satirical edge when when the story kicks in. A little bit, Yeah. It's a satire, but it's also a little bit of a thriller, which is yeah. something that we don't really talk about that much on the show, is that a lot of Dick's books are kind of like an espionage thriller. Yeah. Well, Not just a sci-fi book. I mean, he's good at it. That's why he tries I agree. To I agree. Yeah. Right? Because mm-hmm. he has those, those elements of story that are intriguing, that are like the big budget Hollywood things that people want to see. They mm-hmm. want to see the intrigue. They want to see the action. And he does those things. But that, you know, when you read his books, they're not primary. Right. They're sort of in there, but they're not the primary thing to the book. Uh, it can be extracted later for different media. Yeah. As it were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so one thing, too, I wanted to. We talked earlier about the. Um, uh, Some kind of parade going on outside my house. Yeah. <laughs> Sir. Yeah, who knows? Okay. COVID nineteen related, I'm sure. We're 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 real big boosters up here in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where where we're are parading you? all the time. Where okay. am I? I'm in Victoria, BC. Okay. I'm on Vancouver Island, way on the far far west western edge of the continent. Oh, uh, that's why we got a Canadian again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Earlier, but. Uh... So uh, we did talk earlier about the addition of the zap gun that happens on page 120. Lilo said, do you think, Lars, the two of us can do what they want? Can we come up with what they call a zap gun? You know, I hate to say it, a real weapon. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, can we actually um, do this? That's where I think he was just, like, actually writing to fulfill the contract. Um, I I thought that was great. Um, and then the one last thing before we get into like final thoughts, the one other thing that we haven't really talked much about is the time traveling vet. Um, that there was, um, I think the story was called war veteran, but there was a Philip K. Dick short story that he's kind of cribbing that from where they, um, in the story, they, I, I believe I read this a long time ago, but, there's a vet who is sent back in time from the future to try to convince people not to go to war. And he just like hangs out on the street and he's like, Hey, let me tell you this fucking war is coming and it's really bad. So like, can we not do this? Right. And it was just a short story. And I think he was kind of cribbing this idea like he does often, but I mean, it's, it's different here. I thought that was a really cool element is that that's all that guy did was just, sit at a bench and be like, I can tell you a story about the war and then tell the story. And he was just waiting for someone to listen. Yeah. He had the, he had the capacity to tell the story, but not, not give the information behind it. Yeah. He had to wait for somebody to to get triggered basically and say, wait a second, what's this guy talking about? Could this possibly be important? Because he was, he was constrained by the time travel, by the time travel tech. Right into not revealing things but he could hint and and he could point and he could tell stories and it's also two young officers in the military that do it yeah which we would 
nowadays we would never have those people be the ones that listen. You know, it would never be the military guys mm. that listen. It would always be some mm. probably hippie-ish person that would be like, oh man, I totally understand what you're saying. That kind of thing. It, it, but when you're looking at the, the mid-60s and Vietnam and early times in the war when we were still the undefeated America, like, soldiers really were the ones that we trusted. Yeah. Well, so, he, in this scene, too, he, he says, on, um, it's on the 159 of the Mariner edition, let me tell you how we beat, beat, beat him in the big war, the old vet we used, uh, tickled to have an audience. It was a long war. Shoot. <laughs> it seemed like it would never end. And then he goes on down the line later on. He says, those weapon designers don't know a thing, stupid bastards. And then he calls them them slavers from Sinus, and, um, which is hilarious. Um, I wasn't sure if I read this right when I was going through it because sometimes, you know, I, I'm not sure. But is he suggesting in here that there is a timeline before he came back where they created a weapon to send them into the future? Like, I don't think so. Yeah, he's just... I don't saying, think so. I, I think it's all false. Right. Everything he says is false because he can't tell the truth. Right. So it has to be a made-up story. About them sending the... That, yeah. yeah. Which was a neat part where he was talking but about... But it, like, it has sort of a truth to it. It's a true lie. It's yeah. a true lie. It's it's a story that tells the truth about it without, without actually telling what actually happened. Yeah. It's a true lie. <laughs> and, and that's fairly brilliant, you know, yeah. unto itself. Is that, you know, how to lie and tell the truth at the same time is kind it's of called, a hard thing to do. It's called fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it's called fiction, man. <laughs> Well, in a general sense, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, I think, uh, it, I don't know, those are just, it's just another element of the PKD thing that I think is really cool about, like, where this novel's coming from. Uh, I will say, David, that one of the things that I, I don't like about this, maybe I do, maybe I don't, I don't know, is that this is kind of, like, one of the, only PKD books where I feel like he had enough freedom to to be as pedantic as he wanted, mm. like with the the German and and with the the medical terms and with the Latin and doing all these things. But and and sometimes it works, and other times he just sounds pretentious. I, I rolled my eyes plenty of times during the reading of this book. You know, when he's, he's got like four sentences in German and I'm like, yeah, all right. I did love him some German though, Larry. I think we know. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like the, uh, uh, when you're reading Lord of the Rings and it comes to a, a song or a poem, you're just like, fine, great. I'm not going to read this. And you just, right. you know, you skip that part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of my problems with like, for example, well, like Joe Hill, who I think is a verbose overwriter, right? Like I generally like his stories and I like Joe Hill in general. Sure. But there are times where like I know exactly what's going to happen for the next page and a half. 
and it's not advancing the story. It's just details. And his dad mm-hmm. does that too. And there's just times where I'm just like, skip. Yep. And I'm like, skip. Yep. And if you've read enough Stephen King, you know when to skip, right? Right. Yeah. It, and and like that's it's fine. I'm sure some people enjoy that, but you know what I and I don't know. I mean, I read PKD slower because I'm reading it for the podcast, but like. Yeah. But I definitely, I, this book, I definitely slowed down to pay attention to details, and I don't necessarily do that for, for everyone. I, d- I do that when I read for the podcast, but whatever. Anyways, so uh, any other themes, last themes that, that maybe people, one of you folks thinks I've missed, but um, I think... Uh, well, uh, just in the, the structure alone, I, I feel like... Uh, He's he's grown in in telling different stories again. Like uh, he started doing this obviously from the beginning and doing it poorly from the beginning, but he's gotten so much better mm. at separating story elements and, and and creating scenes with characters outside of his his main antagonist that matter and mm. and and. and and tell different parts that are necessary for the story to work. So, I mean, he's grown as a writer in this book, I think. I would agree, because this is um, a book that, although I find the first 60 pages or so kind of irrelevant, it doesn't feel piecemeal like a lot of his other books do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting to really think about this in the context that he was writing it at the same time as Penultimate Truth, and this was really like, two Cold War books that, like, and I don't really know how much the Zap Gun, um, like, if you don't understand, if you don't have, like, a basics of what the Cold War was like or what the time was, you really have to think about this book in the context of when it was written and when it came out. I I think to really fully master the themes. And, you know, it's funny because Scott said, like, oh, this is too close to home with, some aspects of it and, and the time that because we're living in such an intense like moment, right? It's funny because so much of the science fiction I've been reading since this quarantine started, it all like there's all like that China Mountain Zhang, for example, that just really hit home with the second depression and, and the Chinese century. And I read Desus X by Norman Spinrad, which was about Mm-hmm. You know, it's similar to Upload. It's about digitizing yourself, but it was also about, you know, how are we going to live in isolation and how can we live that way? Right. And it's funny to, to look at this book and then think about, like, these intense times that we're living in, but this book was written in an intense time. With mm-hmm. that nuclear threat and what was happening with the Cuban Missile Crisis and, like, how close people thought that they were, to, to seeing it all go yeah. and Vietnam and uh, you know totally. going on. Yeah. So I think that I mean, this is one of one of the most volatile times in American history is the nineteen sixties. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense that it would have those all those elements, you know, and, and as intensely as they are in this. Right. So, uh, Sorry, you, you you were asking for final thoughts or well, no, I'm well, <laughs> so, just if there's any other themes that that maybe we missed, and then oh, I just love the uh, I just love the conceptual the the like the idea of 
moving into a you know a, basically a, a psychic or spiritual you know higher dimensional space in order to pull back pull out material because for me that just that's just a, a it correlates to the writing process this is all we do mm-hmm. right we just yeah, go into our imagination and pull well, for Dick, that was just, exactly right yeah. and it would just it would just you go in and i've always felt as a writer and uh, and this will shift over time with with my you know my my life as a writer is that i always i always feel as if i'm not so much making it up as pulling it from somewhere else you know the whole channeling aspect of writing so re- reading these re- reading his take on the fashion weapon designers Chef's kiss. It was just really nice. But you don't, <laughs> but you don't feel frustrated that they weren't actually doing what they say. It's the process itself. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So what if it doesn't work? I mean, I mean, how many times do you sit down to write something and it comes out and it's crap? It <laughs> All the well, time. All the time. <laughs> well, and they're they are designing these things uh, to a degree, like they're making yeah. sketches. Whether they subconsciously got it from reading a comic book or not. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that, that's where it gets I mean, interesting as, the, as well. Uh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Can I just? As a stagehand, <laughs> as, stage as a carpenter, as a welder, as a, you know, a working person, I can say, you know, the other characters, uh, what's his face? The uh, Pete, Pete Freed. Yeah. Like, the technicians and the engineers. All this shit come to life was pretty fucking cool as well. He's getting this vague sketch and they say several times like if you want something built you go to this one guy cuz he can turn your little chicken yeah. scratch kids drawing into a real thing. And I thought that was that was also cool. I would have liked yeah. to have seen more of Dick describe how like what that space is that kind of trans-dimensional space because we just get a blackout. Yeah, he, yeah, he really didn't do it. Kind of Grant, Grant Morrison, like I, Grant Morrison, in his uh, in his comic series, the the filth, he mm-hmm. runs a he runs a similar uh, a similar little operation where the uh, some of the characters descend into two D comic book space so as to harvest impossible machines and technologies. Oh, really? From this air, from this place that's just pure imagination. So you. You drop down into 2D, you enter into the comic book, you interact with the superheroes, maybe kill a few on your way out. Either way, you come out with a cool <laughs> new gun, right? And they, they fold back up into 3D space. And what it's is like, it oh, called? check out what I got here. This shouldn't be. What it's, is it called? Uh, the Filth. All right. And that's, that's one and of uh, Grant super, Morrison's lesser-known titles, right? It is, but it's to- it's very PKD. I, it's I have a copy of it. Satire, yeah. yeah, I have a copy of it in my TBR, but I just haven't gotten to it yet. Do it. Maybe I'll do get that. It, Maybe I'll do that today. Film. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> I love Grant Morrison. Yeah. I love his writing. So. Yeah. yeah All right, Morrison's so um, I'm going to start our final thoughts by saying that I'm going to give the Zap Gun five out of five issues of the Blue Cephalopod um, <laughs> Titan. Wow. Um, I yes, there's some faults and some problems, but to me, those are minor compared to the the fun that I got out of it. And um, I think that his use of thematic political allegory is super on point in this book. And if I laugh that much and I think that much about a theme, that's thumbs up for me. And um, I know that's a very very high rate, but I really enjoyed the book. So, as I haven't given a five in a long stigmata, time, huh? not since Three Stigmata. Three Stigmata is a fucking masterpiece, though. So. <laughs> yeah, we know you like Three Stigmata. Okay, 
I love Three Sigma. But that's my first five out of five since Three Sigmata. So. Wow. Um, who wants to go next? Oh, I'll go. I'd say I'd give it a. I'd, I'd say I'd give it like a, a three and a half and four out of five. Uh, just again, the amusement levels were huge. Concepts were very cool to think about. And you know, once the story got going, it was uh, you know it was an interesting one. I dug it. I dug it a lot. Yeah. Is that is that your review, Larry? Yep. Anthony. Yep. Anthony. Uh, I'm gonna give it. Yeah. I'm going to give it three and a half bottles of a mixture of mescaline, psilocybin, psilocybin, mexicanos, tropharia, cubensis, D, lysergic acid, diethylamide. Did he just say god flesh and just shorten it? It's the god flesh. Yeah. It's the teonoctal or whatever they call it. Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, three, three and a half. I really like the middle of this book. From when he meets Lilo Topchev to the end where it kind of ends like it kind of ends like Clue. Do you guys remember the end of the Clue movie where he's like, now I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. <laughs> and then it freeze frames. Like, it, it kind of ends like that, where he picks her up in his arms and then he kicks the door open. And I was like, oh, the book's over. But then there were 25 more pages. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I really like the middle of this book quite a bit. And I, I think it is a step up for Dick where he's not just putting all the disparate narratives into one book like we've seen with The World Jones Made or Doctor Futurity or even Doctor Blood Money, which I know is a fan favorite, but I really didn't like. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, about three, three point five stars for me. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think that this is in uh, the world Jones made or uh, the man who japed camp is very similar to those books. As far I as actually as- think the man who japed is better in terms of I found it more interesting and funny. But yeah. at the same time, I will out myself. I think maybe the fact that I don't have an in-depth knowledge of the Cold War, and obviously I was born in 1986, so maybe my experience with it is obviously pretty much, you know, non-existent for myself. Yeah. Like, I think maybe that lessened my understanding and ability to enjoy it as a satire. Mm. Sure. I figured I'd just out myself now about that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, but I, I definitely, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, the satire aspects of it are, 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 are so much of a part of it that if you don't, if you're not feeling that, it may not it work. It may not work. Yeah. Um, Larry. All right. He gave so, his review. He said, yep. Yep. <laughs> so I, I'm going to give it three uh, old Orville's <laughs> because it's, uh, look, it, it, it works for me. I, I like the, uh, I like the opening satire. I like the jokes. I like the, the story's Okay. When it when it gets to it, and but those last twenty five pages, <laughs> kind of take at least one star off. One star off. The whole fucking Feb story doesn't belong. It's pad. It's good pad, but it's still just fucking padding. It reminded me of a uh, of a uh, what's his face the not Stephen King guy, Joe Hill. What what do you mean by no, not yeah. Stephen King guy? Dean Coons. Dean Coons? Yeah, Dean yeah, Coons. Dean. <laughs> like, hey, hey, early Phantoms Dean Coons. is a good book, Larry. Early <laughs> Dean Coons always had a character, like a story, <laughs> that did not have anything to do with the main characters, like, or or just one little tiny crossover, and that's that's what this was. It's just padding, and it yeah. pissed me off. 
And also, like like you just said, with all the rattling off of names and and the fucking Latin and the German and you know it's it's funny sometimes and I roll my eyes other times. You know, yeah. The the, the German always feels kind of displaced or whatever. Like I looked up the Hold words on. he used; they don't exist. <laughs> it's more of his. His his wacky non-science bullshit. Well, hold on, because we didn't get to this. I didn't get to bring this up, but I'm going to do it now that you're talking about that. <laughs> There's a page on, on page 21. He says, good God, Febs, you're completely right. This stage one of the Brownian movement restriction field induction coil portable subtype can be easily plowed shared into an inexpensive source to chill beer on excursions lasting over seven hours. Oh, golly. <laughs> hey, what? um... There's also a scene where somebody so comes much wackadoo science. I know. I just yeah. want to say too that there is a scene where somebody calls <laughs> Lars a forked radish for no reason. Forked radish. Actually, that's that's old Orville. Yeah. It's, yeah, old Orville. Yeah. Okay. He's he's he's, he's well, quoting well, Willie Shakespeare. Yeah. That's or true. or or okay. kind of misquoting him. Yeah. Well, I and by the way, I did forget to to quote the Kim Stanley Robinson. They're not that great at quotes. They're just two short ones. He didn't say much about Zap Gun. But while David does that, I'm going to hit the restroom real quick. I'll be right back. Sure, go for it. Um, well, yeah. So if people are interested, the Kim Stanley Robinson quotes are: "This is a fictional world with much potential for satire. It is similar in this respect to the novels described in the previous chapter. This is a book, obviously. Since the original novella was written no later than the middle of 1965." This similarity is not surprising. The novella was 67,000 words long, and the novel cannot be much more than 90,000 words long. So the two versions are not that different. Yet, hmm. the Zap Gun remains no more than a weak cousin of the novels discussed in the previous chapter. That's the penultimate truth, the Dr. Blood Monies. That's what he's really? talking about. And Three Stigmata. Huh. Hmm. Re- recapitulating a thinner narrative, what... Um, than what we've than what he's already accomplished, and then he says uh, the Zap Gun is a two character network and a subplot um, added to bring the work to novel length. From the five point of view characters of the Man in the High Castle or the nine of the Simulacra, nine. There's seventy characters in the Simulacra. Yeah. We're talking about nine. Um, <laughs> we are down here to two. And the novel is lessened accordingly. The Zap Gun is a clear symptom of the loss of creative energy Deck was experiencing at the time. The basic premise is one that might have supported a strong novel, but the treatment is perfunctory, hmm. and the premise is no more than sketched out. Ouch. Kevin <laughs> uh, Robinson was not a fan of, of the Zap Gun and thinks that it suffers from only having two characters. Huh. So well, I like I, I like his use yeah. of the term "sketched out." Yeah, <laughs> in ter- like in relation to the actual you know activity of the psychics in the novel. Well, he's he's actually right. There are only really two, maybe three characters that are fully about the simulacra. There's more than nine characters in the simulacra. There's like seventy five. <laughs> well, I, 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 I think what he means is fully fleshed out. Okay. Well, what, yeah. Characters. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, in the Zap Gun, we spend, I we could spend a little more time with more interesting characters. I think Klug would have definitely been a better character to explore a little bit. Yeah, he was more considering he creates that. the device that that saves the day. Anyway, he's the goddamn hero. Yeah, 
<laughs> All right. But, uh, also, David, specifically, yes. as a satire, I don't think this is, like, the greatest satire ever done or anything like that. It's no. really, it suffers from a little bit uh, too much on the nose, too much, uh, uh, too much doing the the generic satire thing. It's almost parody. Mm. Like, like, you know, the difference between satire and parody is one has an agenda. The other is just for laughs. And I feel like it, it really straddles that line. Yeah. Well, so, I, mean, I can see where someone, I definitely am not arguing with, I'm not going to go to the mat for the zap gun, but, um, Really? You you gave five fucking stars. Why wouldn't you go to the mat? Well, no. I mean, I liked it. But Just I, walk I, away, David. If what I'm saying is, I don't. I'm not gonna tell somebody they're they're wrong about their feelings of the zap gun. If if somebody told me that three stigmata is a piece of shit, I'm gonna I'm gonna be like, whoa, you're wrong, and I'm gonna argue. Dude, we'd have to Hardy Boys that one and tap in yeah, and right. tap out. I mean. Anthony telling me that man the high castle is boring shit is gonna piss me off and gonna get me going. I said it. I said it, and I stand by it. Yeah, that's bullshit, and I hate it. But (laughs) but with Zap Gun, if he tells me he doesn't like it, I'm just be like, oh well, it worked for me, and I liked it. It's it's different. Uh, A little bit like um, you guys drove me crazy hating on Martian time slip. It just Make mm. my hair out, but Mm-mm. but see there, yeah. Yeah. Um, David. But, I don't want to. I I know this is shocking to you, but it's okay for people to like different things. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. But yeah, I I'm fine with that. With Zapgun, it, it's a five star book for me, but I'm not worried about people not liking it. What yeah, I'm saying is, there's certain. I'm more the one that doesn't like people liking different things. Yeah, like, you get pissed off about us liking Tina. Uh, uh, sorry, Scott. Bit of a group fight here. Um, I can tell. It's fine. Can <laughs> carry on, boys. Carry on. <laughs> We've been doing this a long time now. Um, but yeah, so we we should move on. Uh, How dare you like things I don't like? Huh? Well, it's it, it, moving on. Adaptation moving on. time. Um, how would we do this as a movie? Does anybody want to go first? How would we adapt Aww. this movie, comic book, or whatever? You, how would you adapt this to another medium? I I, I don't think this one's uh, too hard, is it? I'd ask no. for Taika. I'd ask for Taika Waititi as the director. Of course, who nice. would? Yeah, I think that nice. would work really well. Or Edgar I agree. Wright. Mm. Or Edgar Wright. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, this is basically a, a comedy. Hmm, I did not think of that. So, or I'd actually go with the Coen Brothers, David. Yeah, the Coen Brothers, like Hudsucker Proxy type. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, and I just watched Hail Caesar recently, and I think they could do really cool stuff with uh, kind of more the espionage aspects, but also still be funny. So that would be my pick. So who's your like, large power I like Hail Caesar. How about you? What, Larry? I like Hail Caesar. I liked it. It's kind of like Burn After Reading, where it has a nothing ending, but I think that was the point. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, it's part of that same uh, trilogy, quadology, whatever you want to call it. It's um, called their Idiot Series. I actually think I might put, uh, going off of Coen Brothers, I would probably put John Malkovich in the Lars Powder Drive role. Whoa! <laughs> oh, see, I was thinking full wacky Nicolas Cage. Um, 
for for like uh, Paul Giamatti is Klug though. Yeah, bringing Paul it back. Giamatti is Klug. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he is a serious dickhead, by the way. Like I yeah, pretty sure he did paycheck for free. We, just to, we don't we don't disbelieve you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, well, no, we've made it when he comes on to do an episode. Yeah, right. Well, Paul Giamatti wanted to play Philip K. Dick in a movie. He was trying to do a biopic for a while, and he wanted really? to play him. Yeah. Interesting. Um, that was like 15 years ago, so it obviously didn't happen. Um, yeah, uh, I would definitely focus on the comedy aspects, make it funny, um, uh, I like I said. I how do you sucker proxy? How do you how do you sell that future or that reality that we're in? I mean, that's where the Earth is split into hemispheres, and well, you know how I would do that is I would I would focus on Arrow and and Lars as your main characters. I would have and I would cast Nicolas Cage as Lars and Kate uh, Blanchett <laughs> as Lilo. And I know I'm not I know like. The eight Blanchett's not eighteen. <laughs> I I'm changing. I'm not being faithful here, but I but I uh, well, there was a part where they thought that Lilo was like super old and being. Oh, she now. could have been old and decayed yeah. and all. That. Yeah, there's that. And so and, so Tilda Swinton, David, probably be better for the part. Yeah, Tilda Swinton would be better. Well, that's your fucking movie, but mine, <laughs> Blanchett. Um, but yeah, your five star movie. Yeah, it would definitely be. But I would focus on their characters as as um as like doing the world building through them. Yeah, you could go back and forth. Yeah, and until they come together yeah. and, and kind of ramp up their competition. Sure. Early on, and kind of make more of a comedy of the yeah, fact that it, like they make it. each other's weapons. And it's yeah, hey, get rid of all that like insecure bullshit. Make it yeah. like they're, they're a little bit more of a moonlighting thing that yeah. Lilo and Lars fucking hate each other. Jobs, they're, <laughs> they're like gung ho about it. You know, yeah. I do this thing, and yeah, then no. she would probably make fun of his his trances, and she would have some kind of like technological setup, maybe that they put nodes to her head. I mean, the, he's the doing aliens, and she's like doing technology, and then it would be like kind of an army that they're. They're full of shit. You don't find out they're full of shit until like there's this real threat, and then they together show up. And I would make them fucking hilarious, and I'd see more of them a little bit, like the Vogons. Mm. Yeah, like Vogons. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, that's how I would do that movie, and it would be awesome. Not bad, not bad. I like it. I think it could be a better movie than a book because I think it'd be more focused. I think if you if you like to find the focus and, and do that, you could, you could make a superior movie to yeah. what you've got. So listen up Hollywood. Um, uh, any, well, like we've got done final thoughts, Scott, I really appreciate you showing up. Um, I have a lot of love in my heart for Victoria. I used to live in, I lived for a year across the water in Port Angeles. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah I can see that. And, I can um, see, I can literally see that from my house. Right. <laughs> uh, we were trying to to move to Victoria, but Canada said fuck no. And yeah, we uh, tend to. Uh, yeah, well, apparently our immigration is not as open as as I thought it was. 
Yeah, I don't know. good friends of Victoria, including Desmond Reddick um, from Dread Media, a friend of the podcast. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Cool. Well, but, thanks very much for having me, by the way. Oh, yeah, we really fun. appreciate it. Well, um, Anthony, next up is the... Uh, oh, yeah, I was not prepared for this. I have the Counterclock World on my shelf right here. If you oh, is it Go for it. Yeah, it's Counterclock next. Go for it, David. All right, hold on a second. Uh, next up um, is the Counterclock World. And on the back cover, it says, In Counterclock World, time has begun moving backwards. People greet each other with goodbye, blow smoke in, into cigarettes, and rise from the dead. When one of the rising dead is famous and powerful prophet, Anarch Peak. Wow, that's a <laughs> Anarch Peak. A number of groups start a mad scramble to find him first, but their motives are not exactly benevolent because Anarch Peak may, be, uh, may just be more dead than alive, and these groups will do whatever they must to send him back to the grave. What would you do if long dead relatives started coming back? Would you take care of them? I, I think so. But what if they preferred being dead? In Counterclock World, one of Dick's most theological and philosophical works, these troubling questions are addressed. Though, as always, you may have to figure out the answers yourself. So, Counterclock World, I've never read this one. I'm excited to read it. Um, it sounds like it's pretty good. And where the fuck did Larry go? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure the book won't be as cool as that synopsis, as those Mariner editions lie to me every time. Um, I don't so who got shot in the head? What assassin? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, World Jones made all over again. We did talk... We did talk about the counterclock world in our interview with Craig Callender, the expert on time. Uh, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that interview, um, he did talk about counterclock world, and I just kind of nodded because I haven't read it yet. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I'm excited about this one, and I have a cool special guest planned who I'm not going to tell you who it is because I'm afraid But um, if all works out. Uh, we should have another special guest. Thank you, Scott, for showing up and representing the great country of Canada. Thank you, eh? Yeah, yes, <laughs> man. We did most get it welcome. again. You're most again. welcome. And, like, I appreciate that. I have um, Canadian relatives, and I always remember that they uh, – my stepbrother spent time in Canada growing up, and his father yeah. was Canadian, so he says Canadian again. And, like – and he didn't even grow up there. So it's funny. All right. That's how it works. Um, so, uh, dickheads, thanks for listening this far in. We're two hours in. This is second two-hour episode in a row. Keep yourself paranoid. <laughs> Stay paranoid. Keep it paranoid. Good night. Thanks, everybody.